Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme on what is a lovely, lovely weather forecast. It's uh, great to be enjoying this fine weather at the moment. And we always love to see your emails coming in uh, Cork today at c103.ie. And I'm just looking at some of the stories that are coming down the news wires and what's the big stories for today. And there's two that are kind of sitting almost side by side and they're just in my head. I'm trying to rationalise them both. There's one talking about that the Cabinet is trying to consider ways of what to do with the corporation tax windfall surplus. Many of the newswires, you know, have pictures of the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, and along with the Cabinet, he'll obviously bring the proposal to the Cabinet on how Ireland should deal with this large corporation tax windfall surplus, which is forecast to flow into the state. Last year, we were looking at a figure of around £8 It's expected this year that it'll come in at around £10 and it's already anticipated it could be as high as £16 next year. And they're saying over the next number next three years I think 65 billion in total could flow into this country in corporation tax so you look at that and you think that that is a country that is awash with money and running right beside that story is the latest report out from the children's charity Bernardo's and they are talking about one in five families simply struggling to put food on the table and obviously with this their latest survey out they're calling on the government you need to do something and you need to do something uh, quickly and I was listening on our own news because there's stories coming out from that survey, people giving giving examples of how they're struggling, you know, and to hear of a mother talk about her child having to go to school with holes in his, his shoes during a wet uh, period, the you know, the water going in, soaking into his socks and the mother really couldn't do anything. I don't know how long it was until Children's Allowance Day, but she knew that when she got her child benefit it was then she was going to be able to buy a pair of shoes for the child. But in the meantime, she had to say to the child sorry you have to go to school with the holes in your shoes and you just kind of think we're awash with money we have the cabinet sitting down saying what are we going to do with this money and then right beside that we've got families who are struggling to put food on the table and a child going into school obviously socks soaked by the time they get to uh, school and the mother not been able to do anything about it. And looking at the survey from uh, Bernardo's, more than a third of parents say they have had to cut back or they've had to go without heating. And that this survey was over, they asked parents how they were 
coped over the last uh, six months and that obviously is all to do with pressure on inflation and obviously our electricity, gas, oil bills all going uh, through the roof. And the survey now was based on families that the children's charity Bernardo's are already working with. 73% said the cost of living crisis had negatively affected their children over the past six months with 17 uh, going uh, so far as to say that it, it had affected them significantly. The survey found 37% of parents said they were going without or cutting down on uh, heating. One uh, woman speaking at the survey, one mother uh, who shares care with her former partner with the dad and the mother admitted in taking part in the survey that she only tops up her electricity and gas meters when the children are at home with her and then she goes without it for the period of time when the children are staying with their father and that's just to make sure that she'll have enough when they're back uh, living with her. Now the survey also found that 23% of parents say they've cut down on electricity and 20% said they've cut back on food in the last six months. 28% said they've cut back or gone without medical care or medicines and 70% said that they sometimes are always are worried that they're not able to provide for their children with the daily essentials and they're talking about the daily essentials being food, heat and electricity. One parent said that her son on some days has to go to school without any lunch. Now obviously it's a young lad who is understanding that the mother just doesn't have the money. She said he can't afford to go to the places that his other friends are going to and he sits in a cold room trying to do his uh, homework and uh, Suzanne Connolly who is the chief executive of Bernardo's she said it's simply unacceptable that children are she's described it are being pulled into deprivation she said all children across Ireland are entitled to a standard of living that will support them emotionally that will support them socially and will support their physical development now Bernardo's are calling for the hot school meals programme to include all secondary schools and they want a pilot to be held to offer school meals during the holiday periods because it seems the holiday periods for the schools that are already operating school dinners and we know that all primary schools uh, are going to be offering it uh, soon uh, but not secondary schools but we know that for families that are really struggling they know that if their child is getting their hot meal when they go to school obviously it's an encouragement to get the child to go into school as well but they know then that in the summer months they're really going to struggle to put food on the table and that many of their children will be going hungry so Bernardas are saying they need to look at some kind of a pilot during the school break to make sure that families that really are struggling and that have difficulty with the children at home during the summer months and because children are so active they get more hungry that there needs to be something put in place during those school holiday uh, periods. It's also recommending that the government ensure that low income families with children and that use the prepaid meters that they're automatically placed on the energy providers with the lowest tariff. And that's been spoken about for quite some time because many families will say they have no option but to go with the prepaid meters. But as we've pointed out and have done interviews on uh, countless times, the prepaid meters, it can be the most expensive way to pay for your electricity or gas. But families are damned if they do and damned if they don't. They can't wait for a big bill to come in. They prefer to pay out every week, even though they know in their hearts and souls that 
that they're paying more. And there has been talk, certainly since electricity prices have gone up, there has been talks that electricity providers should automatically place people on the lowest tariff that is available to customers that can pay their bills every two months. But it's looking like with Bernardo's calling for that, that that still isn't happening. And while Bernardo's were focusing a lot on families struggling to put food on the table, they obviously also dealt with the whole energy crisis. And while Bernardo's are launching that, yesterday the Oireachtas Environment uh, Committee had a number of people in talking about the issue of energy poverty. You know, they people like the societies of Vincent de Paul were there, uh, Social Justice Ireland, Ireland were there and many other groups were all in just trying to talk about how difficult energy poverty is at the moment. And I know Vincent de Paul spoke about the fact that many households are facing multiple energy bills that they simply can't clear before the next one comes uh, through. So they get a huge bill. They're trying to pay it off. They don't even have it paid off in the eight weeks when the next bill arrives. So they're still paying off the previous bill and the new bill is uh, in. And of course, we know because we spoke about figures earlier this month that came out from the Commission of Regulation of Utilities. And that was showing the number of domestic gas companies customers who were in arrears and year on year it's risen. Last year, 18% of gas customers were in arrears at some stage during the year. In the last 12 months, that went up to 23%. They reckon about 25,000 extra people had gone into arrears by the end of March this uh, year. And when you look at electricity uh, customers up to the end of March, some 200,000 households are in uh, arrears and many of them unfortunately won't have it paid off by the time the next bill arrives. And St Vincent and Paul are making the point that families need extra intervention. If not, people will be going into the winter months with repayments still hanging over their heads and you know people thought they'd get a bit of a breather during the summer months when we don't use as much electricity as you do during the winter months but unfortunately people are finding that they still have very high electricity bills not necessarily because of their usage but because of how much electricity has gone up by and we will be looking at that a little bit later on on the programme uh, today and hearing about how uh, so many people in this country feel that the government should be continuing with the 200 euro electricity credits the first bills that are going to be coming in very soon to households these are going to be the first bills in probably the last six months where the 200 euro, euro credit is not on it and people are going to find it very very hard to pay off some of those bills Mentic all this out yesterday but we had a biz Busy, busy uh, programme. We were on to Vodafone for one of our listeners, Phil in Clonakilty, who had contacted us because she'd been trying to get on to Vodafone. Now, she's an elderly lady. She's uh, 80 years of age. She lives on her own. She has a heart condition and she needs uh, a landline. And she was having a problem with her uh, landline. And she was on phone, phone for nearly an hour on her mobile trying to get through. And you know what it's like when you're sitting there waiting waiting. Your call is important to us, your call is important to us and we hear from people then when they get onto various service providers and they, they're you know they're next in the queue and then it disconnects so it was all very frustrating for her and the fact she was living on her own and she really does need uh, her landline. So 
what we did was we reached out to uh, Vodafone um, on behalf of uh, Phil and put forward what was going on with Phil and to see if we could get anything done. And in fairness, they came back to us uh, to say that they had located Phil's uh, account and a gentleman by the name of Shane from their team spoke with her and it looks like the issue was actually with Phil's handset. It was nothing to do with the line into uh, Phil's uh, house. So Shane was explaining to her what she needed to do. She was going to get somebody to look at the handset and just to check out. He reckoned it might have been something to do with the voicemail and the setting up of the voicemail on the device. So she was going to get a family member to take a look at the handset as Phil had advised um, to see could the feature be turned off so that her landline would work perfectly and then he was going to get back on to her uh, today uh, to follow up. So we'll uh, we'll keep it, we'll check in with Phil just to see has it all been sorted out. So thanks to uh, Vodafone, they were quick to respond there. Don't forget this week, lots of competitions for you on the programme. Irish Heart Foundation, all this week we've got a Fitbit for you to uh, give away Later on, we'll look for a listener to join me on air. You will be given 15 seconds to name five things on a particular subject. By doing it, you'll win a Fitbit Inspire 3 uh, to keep you healthy. And of course, on Friday, all of our daily qualifiers going forward to a draw for €250 voucher for Hotel uh, Kilkenny. And then Mallow Homes and Garden Festival, which is we spoke about yesterday on the programme. It's happening this coming weekend we've teamed up with them and they've given us a 500 euro voucher for Dulux paint and along with the paint is a colour consultant who will come to your home and help you pick out your colour scheme and uh, we will give you details of how you can enter that particular competition later on as well and of course as always uh, listening out for Rod Stewart throughout the day for your chance to head to see Rod Stewart twice once at the Marquee and a month later flying to Marbella. Now farming Pharmacists nationwide have been told to prioritise patients with uncontrolled diabetes over those with obesity only for the so-called miracle weight loss jab, Ozempic. Uh, why? It's all down to shortages. To chat about what's going on, I'm joined by pharmacist and well-known podcaster Sheena Mitchell of Wondercare.ie. Good morning to you, Sheena. Morning, Patricia. And you're you're welcome to the programme. I suppose, firstly, talk to me about this Ozempic, what it is, and is it a miracle drug when it comes to weight loss? Yeah, so Ozempic has actually been available since about 2012, and it is one of the medications from a group called GLP-1 Analogs, and they basically work to regulate glucose, glucose control, which is why they're so useful for type 2 diabetes. But it became apparent that a side effect of these medications are that obviously they control glucose, but they also suppress your appetite and reduce your preference for high fat foods. They also help to slow the movement of food down through your stomach so that you eventually, you know, start to develop weight loss. So in this was kind of established and in the last year or so irish doctors and clinicians have been prescribing ozempic off license and that just means that the license that the product was given by the ema is specifically for type 2 diabetes so 
doctors are obviously using it now to help obese patients to support them in their weight loss journey. And unfortunately, because of a few Hollywood elite, such as the Kardashians, there's been a huge increase in global demand for these products. This means now that we have shortages and the company who produced it, Nova Nordisk, can't actually produce enough quick enough or ramp up supply quick enough to cater for both groups of patients. So when a patient comes to you with a prescription for the drug, do you have to ask them, do they have uncontrolled diabetes? Yeah, and this is why it was so important for me to talk about this on my podcast, because a lot of patients, understandably, are getting very, very upset. They think that we're asking these questions because of stigma or preference. And I want to make really, really clear that that's not the case. We actually received guidance from the Pharmaceutical Society of Ireland, our regulator, reminding us that the licensed indication for this product is type 2 diabetes and not weight loss. So it's really important to me to communicate to patients that, yes, you are being asked why you are using the medication, but no, it is not because we think that your health needs are inferior. In fact, I'm calling on the government to bring, um, I suppose, to speed up the process for the assessment of another medication produced by the same company called Wayjovi. It actually in, contains the exact same ingredient as Ozempic, but it's licensed for weight loss. And unfortunately, it's been slow to come to market. And I think that would help to alleviate some of this, you know, I suppose, concern, because obesity is a huge problem in Ireland. And it's actually a really urgent issue. I don't know if you want me to bore you with the stats, but it really is important that, you know, obesity is treated as the progressive chronic complex disease that it is. Yeah, because the first thing when I saw and heard your podcast, I mean, the one thing that struck me was um, if for, for people who have obesity, who've, you know, that they're, doctor or the consultant has said, yes, you need this drug. It will help you lose weight. If that person continues to gain weight, couldn't they end up with type 2 diabetes? Exactly. So there's a very strong intrinsic link between obesity and diabetes. And that's because as you gain weight, you become your body becomes basically more resistant to your body's insulin. So it's not just type two diabetes. Obesity is actually associated with cardiovascular disease, several types of cancer, lots of pain and musculoskeletal disorders and respiratory disease. So if for me, it's non-logical to adopt a kind of stigmatized approach and say, well, no, we're going to treat high blood pressure. We're going to pay for that with our health system. We're going to pay to treat high cholesterol and we're going to pay to treat diabetes, which are all internal, non-visible you know, risk factors for cardiovascular disease. But yet we're not going to pay to basically treat di- our obesity, which is itself a risk factor and also causes a lot of the risk factors. Yeah, it's so just, it was not making yeah, sense. it's not making yeah. any sense. And obviously, as well, putting pharmacists in a very awkward position, telling a patient, "Sorry, I can't fill your script." Yeah, and pharmacists. I did a survey of two hundred and eighty-one community pharmacists based all over Ireland, and pharmacists are feeling very frustrated for multiple reasons. Look, we're battling our own kind of pharmacy-based challenges and politics surrounding the supply issues because eighty-five percent of pharmacists believe that their supply levels are deser- determined by their choice of wholesaler. But even geographically, there can be some variance in 
where supply is landing and where it's not. And the biggest problem is pharmacies are already exceptionally busy. So sometimes, and it has been fed back, and I do understand that Ozempic patients are feeling stigmatized and feeling that the communication isn't adequate from community pharmacies. And I would agree, but I would say that this is a contrived situation that neither pharmacists or patients want to be in because we're, you know, burdened by, I suppose, HSE bureaucracy in the back. So sometimes it's our counter assistants and healthcare staff who are trying to relay this information for us because we're stuck on the phone with the doctor. Like community pharmacists on average are spending five hours a month trying to source just this one product. Like, you know, when you go into a pharmacy, you see how many drugs are in the dispensary. Yeah. If we're spending five hours on every product, there's no time to talk to a patient. Yeah. So, and, and, and I know and for the patient themselves, I mean, I know it was quoted in, in your press release. You were speaking about one patient who said she's almost made to feel like a drug addict trying to score her fix. Yeah, like 89% of the patients that I surveyed, so there was over 113, are feeling distressed about this shortage and about the way they're being communicated with. So I think it's really, it would be much more practical for the government to kind of communicate the issues maybe to the public rather than leaving the fight to happen, you know, on the counter in the pharmacy where misinformation can happen because of time constraints. I think that's why it was really important for me to do the podcast to try and explain to these patients that we really genuinely care. And there is a lot that I think we need to do in terms of battling obesity. And these patients do absolutely need our support. These injections are only one part of a jigsaw of solutions for obese patients. So I think as a nation, we need to remove stigma. We need to be talking about this. And on a government level, they need to be figuring out if they're going to reimburse and pay for it for patients, because they'll pay for it now for diabetics. But um, for obesity patients, they have very strict criteria on only one of these GLP-1 analogs, which is another medication from the same family called Saxenda. But, you know, you, you really it's very few people that are actually eligible. So it, it just comes down to as a nation, are we going to look at the threat of obesity on our health system as a serious threat or are we going to stigmatize it? Because already 60 percent of all adults are in the overweight or obese category and 20 percent of all children. So mm. like it, yeah, who will be the adults of the future and we know obese children unfortunately grow into uh, obese ad- adults and frustrating when, when you know that there's an alternative the, the Wegovi that you, you spoke about which I know is available in the in the UK for example and what is the delay? Why is the government not allowing that to be available? So I don't think for, for once I'm letting the government off the hook here I don't think it's their fault I actually think it's slightly reckless by Nova Nordisk, the manufacturer, who also manufactures Saxenda. You know, they, they do a range of these medicines and they knew Ozempic was available in the market. It was only a month ago that they actually put it into the Irish system. So the NCPE for a basically a pharmacoeconomic review that normally does take around six months between coming and going. And they only entered that into that review system about a month ago. So they were slow to come to Ireland. And this is where I think this highlights 
uh, for me, the problem that we're having with medicines shortages at a, as a nation as a whole across the like the broader spectrum of medications that affect everyone, because Ireland is really irrelevant in the market. And unless we start to be more proactive about our procurement of medicines, this is going to happen to everyone, whether it's for an antibiotic, an eye drop, a blood pressure medication or a cancer treatment. So we need to be a little bit more structured. And again, I call for a chief pharmaceutical officer within the Department of Health because it's it's literally there's nobody in there who can see these problems and who understands that without our main medicine intervention coming in, we, we have no support for our patients and it's going to be very detrimental to health. Yeah, and I know I've spoken with you uh, countless times before on other drug uh, shortages and we know as a country we pay less than the market rate for a lot of drugs so it is understandable for the manufacturers when it's in short supply. They're going to give it to the country that pays them the most. I know, and like the Ozempic and Wage OV ones are kind of different purely because of the global demand. Yeah. So we've been, I've I got statements from the drug companies and from um, the HPRA, etc. And basically, from what I can see within Europe, we're definitely getting our fair allocation per capita. But obviously, Wage OV hasn't even come, and that was a commercial decision, which isn't great. And that's just because the size of our market. But then, you know, I, I kind of question, like in America, for example, these drugs are selling for 800 to 1,000 euro a month, whereas in Europe, it's more like 150 to 200 euro, depending on the medication per month. So if you were a manufacturer, I suppose, you know, who are you going to sell it to? So there's ethics here that I do question. Mm, OK, but to patients, please don't have a go at the pharmacist or the staff in the pharmacy if they're turning you down uh, for the script. It's not their fault. Listen, Sheena, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is pharmacist and podcaster Sheena Mitchell of wondercare.ie. So let me move on with some other uh, calls and commentary coming into the programme. Angela was on to us. This is one. And I'm interested in your thoughts on this. This is to do with robins. Now, I love to see a robin in the garden, I have to say. And uh, I will often associate robins with uh, people who have passed away. And it's just something that I do. I know it doesn't work for everybody. But Angela said she was sitting in her car she was waiting for a relative who was in at a doctor's appointment. So she was sitting there anyway, minding her own business. And obviously, lovely, fine summer's day. Nice weather at the moment or spring day. Are we into summer yet? And I'm assuming, the I don't know if the window was rolled down or not, but she was sitting there minding her own business when suddenly a little robin hopped on to the mirror, the side mirror of the car. Now, Angela thought that the, the robin would fly away immediately, but she said no. He stayed there sitting on the car for quite a number of minutes and then he hopped onto the mirror on the other side and again she said he sat there for uh, another while. Now she said she has heard that some people say when a robin appears like that it's a sign of death while others say no it's the sign of a loved one looking after you and it can actually bring you luck. She's wondering what other listeners would make of that if they were in a car and the robin perched on the window kind of looking in at her and then goes to the other side and looks in at her. Is it good luck or bad luck? I take it as good luck I have to say. I would say that it, I would say it's a sign of some loved one who's passed away that would be my personal choice and I know there will be other people laughing their head off and saying it was just a robin who happened to need a bit of a break and sat on the mirror of the car anyway your thoughts welcomed on that 0818 103 103 
And then uh, somebody's been on to say a foot rest from a blue wheelchair was found in the playground on the Park Road in Mallow. Now, it was actually found by a member of Mallow Tidy Towns who do, as with all the Tidy Towns group, they do incredible work. And rather than just leaving it there, they've taken it home for safekeeping. So if if you have a family member or it's yourself or you've heard of somebody that lost a foot rest from a wheelchair. If you contact us here at the radio station, we can arrange to have that footrest returned to the owner 022-42103. If anybody is missing a footrest and it's blue in colour, so I'm told it comes from a blue wheelchair. And then on the topic of wheelchairs, I had a letter into the programme and we always welcome uh, letters. You can feel free if you don't want to email or call us, you can always uh, write uh, to us. Uh, Patricia Messenger, Cork Today. C103 in Mallow will get to us and this letter comes from somebody who says uh, please just refer to me as John and I'm wondering if you can air my letter and my problem. I'm a wheelchair user. I commute to Cork three times a week as I have a part-time job in the city. Always get the train which is always the intercity train from Dublin to Cork. Now here is my issue. Mallow train station has three platforms. The train from Dublin to Cork often changes platforms, but they do it without pr- any prior notice. Being a wheelchair user, I have to get two lifts if I'm to get from one platform to the other platform. By the time I get to the changed platform, frequently the train has departed. The staff at the station stated that they learn about the modified platform when the train arrives, so the staff can't even in advance say to John, you're going to be on the wrong platform. Now, I have been on to Irish Rail, got onto their head office in Dublin. I've also raised the issue with the Minister for Transport's office. However, I've yet to receive a reply to any of my emails. Why can't Irish Rail install just one electronic information board which will show the platform number and also tell you if the train is running late. A lot of stations, many of them smaller than the one that's in Mallow Town, have got these electronic information boards. At the end of the day, Mallow is a major train station. It serves Cork to Dublin, Cork Intercity Service, Mallow to Tralee and the Cork commuter line. I often feel sorry for tourists who need to change trains in Mallow, I've seen them having to dash across the footbridge at short notice. If one of these electronic boards were installed, it certainly would make my commute much easier and I would be able to catch the train and catch the train on time, even if the platform changes at short notice. Thanking you. And that's signed by John. Now, obviously, we're, we are already on to Irish Rail uh, to, see what, to see what is going on, but that does seem... Very, very frustrating and annoying for John, particularly when he's catching the train in order to go to work. It's not like he's on a leisurely day out and if he misses one train, I'm sure I can wait around for the next train. It means he's late for work as well and that simply isn't fair. And people, wheelchair users, it's difficult enough to negotiate the world in which we live when you are in a wheelchair but you do expect a service like that a train service and everything to be as it should be to help out John. I'm just kind of shocked that when it when the train changes platforms very quickly 
that nobody's holding the train because obviously somebody at the train station will see that John has to get into one lift, go across the footbridge, come down the lift and it, that obviously is going to take uh, some time. So I can't understand why the train isn't, in, isn't held for him. I'm shocked to hear that frequently John says the train has departed and that simply isn't good enough. So we're going to get on to Irish Rail on behalf of John just to see if um, we can find out what's going on and also to see if we can find a solution for John. I, th- I really do think that a solution is needed so that when John turns up at the train station and he's there in plenty of time, he needs because he knows that he needs to get to work, that the, the all everything should be done to facilitate John getting on and off the train and getting on and off the right platform. Uh, and I don't know if that's happened to many other people as well. 0818 103 103. And a quick shout out to the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind because Eileen has sent in a message to say that the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind, they will be holding their collection day on this Friday, the 26th of May in Bantry Town. Eileen said it's a great organisation, so it does deserve your, uh, it deserves everybody's uh, support and it does. It's a wonderful, wonderful organisation that can change the lives of somebody who is visually impaired. So if you're out in Bantry doing your shopping on Friday, uh, please give whatever you can to the Irish Guide Dogs. Some of your calls uh, coming into the uh, programme. Sean in Mallow has reacted to the letter that I got from John, the wheelchair user who's got a part-time job in the city so he regularly is commuting between Mallow and Cork City and he goes on the Dublin to Cork intercity train but the problem is in Mallow because there's three platforms at very short notice the platform can change and then poor old John in the wheelchair has to go into a lift go up the lift go across the footbridge go down the lift and then get to the other platform and he says frequently the train is departed by the time he gets to the other platform and something needs to be done about it as I say we are on to Irish Rail uh, to see if we can get some kind of a solution for John but Sean uh, says that change of platform that John is highlighting in his letter says Sean often happens in Mallow there's never any staff around and there's never any announcements made. I find it very frustrating. By the way, says John, I'm not a wheelchair user, but I do agree with John in his letter when he said one of those electronic real-time information boards would be a great idea and it would solve the solution because you would know before the train is approaching what platform it's going to uh, be on. So it does seem like a simple enough solution. I don't know what's the cost implication of putting in one of those electronic announcement boards uh, but no doubt when John Paul is on to Irish Way we will we'll put forward that as a possible solution. Thank you for that Sean who obviously in his commentary has sympathies for John in the wheelchair. Sean is legging it across and is able body so he's able to run up the steps, cross the foot bridge down the other steps and makes it to the train on time. But he he, he obviously has a level of sympathy for Sean for for John who unfortunately is in his uh, wheelchair and then I spoke earlier in the programme with uh, Sheena Mitchell when we were talking about this drug that's on the market that it's I mean it's been billed and hailed as a miracle drug for people with weight loss and people are losing weight on it but unfortunately there's a worldwide demand for this drug so now pharmacists I think it's really unfair the position pharmacists have been put into they've been told that when a patient comes in with a prescription for this Ozempic they need to ask the patient uh, do they suffer from uncontrolled diabetes and if the person says no uh, then and that they're taking it for obesity then they can't give them the drug and it's just it's a really uncomfortable position for everybody to be in well that's 
We've been contacted by one of our listeners. Patricia, please don't cut out my name and absolutely we won't. I'm a 50-year-old woman with a huge weight problem. I started on one of those drugs and I'm paying for it myself. I've got a number of health uh, issues, including high cholesterol. I suffer with high blood pressure and I've started on the drug Saxenta just over a month ago. In that month since I've started that particular medication, it was one of the ones, funny enough, that Sheena mentioned, I am down 30 pounds. I've been denied cover for it, so I have to pay 250 euro myself in order to access it. But I'll continue however I can as I need to get my life back for my children. And that really is heartbreaking. And that sums up for people who struggle with obesity and obesity is recognised now as a a disease. It isn't a case of somebody is lazy and they're eating too much and it's your own fault. It's very well uh, recognised. And to think that there are these drugs available and actually to that listener, you're the reason that Sheena Mitchell, the pharmacist, has come out and has put up this really good podcast on this issue uh, because she feels like there's fat shaming going on by saying to somebody, no, you can't have the drug and you can. And then she spoke about that drug that you're on, the Sax Senda, and there's the other one, uh, Wave Govi. They're available in many European countries. They're certainly available in the UK, but they're not available in this country yet. And even, well, they are, you you can get the, the sex centre, but they're not available uh, if you were to go on the drug payment scheme, for example. I mean, anybody else would only have to pay €80 Euro for the month and then everything else is free. But unfortunately, th- those particular drugs and group of drugs that Sheena spoke about are not covered on that scheme, which is really unfair. And therefore, this particular listener has to come up with €250 Euro a month. But fantastic to hear that it is working for you. And no doubt you're watching the diet, you're doing the exercise and all of that. And for many people who battle with particularly, you know, chronic obesity and are very overweight and as this listener says a huge weight problem for many, they have to lose a certain amount of weight before they can even get into being physically able to do exercise and I don't know if that's the case or not but well done 30 pounds to lose in uh, over a month is is terrific I, I wish you good luck with it and let us know uh, how you get on and you're, and you're so right to be doing your bit uh, because your children need you and ch- your children need you active 0818 103 103 okay other issues uh, coming into us I started the uh, programme by talking about Bernardo's their cost of living survey and the survey that's getting a lot of attention because some of the stories coming out from the Bernardos, you know, talking of, you know, somebody only putting putting electricity and the gas, putting money into the meter when the children are staying. She's separated. So this the children spend half the week with the father. So she lives without any electricity or heating when they're not in the house. So she can have it for them. Hearing of uh, a mother saying her son has to go to school without lunch, hearing of a family whose uh, young lad had to go to school with holes in his shoes, waiting for the children's allowance to come in to be ordered to able to buy uh, the shoes. Some of the commentary on that, uh, Jim says, and then I was juxtaposing the two stories of that I saw on the news wires, how you've got the Minister of Finance going to the cabinet, trying to find ways of what will they do with all of the surplus corporation tax. And you put that beside the Bernardo's study showing how people are suffering. It's kind of hard, isn't it, to sort of look at the two uh, stories. Uh, Jim says, I know the government probably didn't save money during the boom. And then when the bust came, guess what happened? We had to be bailed out by Europe. But with the cost of living crisis, I think the government today should be spending more of that money 
money as that rainy day is here and is here for many people. Jim was watching Primetime last night and he says he thinks it was Kiro Doherty. We're saying to the Minister of Finance, Michael McGrath, if you are planning on saving, and we know that one of Michael McGrath's thought pattern is to put money uh, away. Um, seemingly, Kiro Doherty said last night to the Min- Minister McGrath, about think again about putting money away into a nest egg because probably the next Minister for Finance one Pierce Doherty uh, if Sinn Féin get into government he'll be rubbing his hands with glee because he'll have all of this money to spend and if Sinn Féin say what they're going to do with tax cuts they'll have all the money to do it and they'll make them even more popular but Jim then is worried when that money runs out where will our country be then and certainly Sinn Féin are doing very well in uh, the polls uh, Jim and I've heard other people say that that if the government do decide to put money away are they handing a pot of money over to Sinn Féin Jarrah says listening to how people are continuing to struggle with billions in the bank we've got the apple taxes and the apple taxes is funny with the government saying we don't want the apple tax uh, money could we not use some of that corporation tax money to help people out the people who are struggling today so many people are struggling with high rents and can I also say high mortgages we always seem to think of people who are renting and even though they do need help but also people who are struggling with high mortgages everyone's got high bills at the moment and yet we've got the government sitting on a big pot of money it's frustrating watching people arriving into this country some with no documentation uh, while our own people are continuing to struggle to pay bills and even according to Bernardo's to put food on the table now Patty and Fomoy has a bit of an issue with the Bernardo's survey and he wants to point out that most surveys and Pat is right in this because obviously we use a lot of surveys here by way of research for the programme most surveys will have at least a thousand plus plus people that are surveyed Bernardo's are pains to point out there was 315 people that they surveyed and it was 315 of their own clients and the in-depth study and the ones they got the quotes from there was 30 of them out of the 315 so Pat is queer uh, really how true is the survey you, you know you can't say it it's about all of the country particularly when it was a survey that was carried out on their own clients these are people who would come to Bernardo's many of them would be in need before they would come to Bernardo's and yes you're right some people will go to Bernardo's for financial reasons but other people go to Bernardo's because they're struggling uh, with their children it could be you know challenging behaviours by the children it isn't necessarily that everyone that goes to Bernardo's is in need financially but yes you're right a large proportion of them uh, would be and then someone else is questioning now we're not necessarily questioning the results of the survey but just the findings the survey on the children has puzzled me says this uh, texture. the first thing I can't understand is how can parents who took part in this study say they can't afford uh, medication when we know everybody under the age of six has a free medical card well I'll stop you on that one. It Remember, there's working poor, there's people who are working and can't afford and don't qualify for a medical card. So when we're talking about some families saying that they can't afford to go to the doctor or bring their child to the doctor, it could be a child over the age of six and it could also be an adult or a teenage child or, or themselves that they can't go. So, you know, you're wrong to say that just because the under six of a free medical card every family is okay to go to the doctor. Anyway, back to your text. Second point, there were two, if not three. Now, this listener says huge bonuses for child benefit. I don't know if families listening will say the bonuses were huge. There are, we're hearing about working families who are living in cars. If you go back 40 or 50 years ago, there was families that could have had anything between six and ten children. Ten children wasn't unheard of in good old Catholic Ireland. At that time, when parents were raising very large families, 
families. There wasn't the Littles or the Aldis that thankfully we have now where food is a little bit uh, cheaper. Also, families were raised in houses without any central heating. Everyone back in those times, most people walked or cycled everywhere. Where was the poverty then? Well, I suppose there was a lot of poverty around even then, but I suppose we didn't hear as much uh, of it. But people will talk themselves. People will remember back to living in households where it was freezing cold because they didn't have uh, central uh, heating. People will talk about going to bed hungry. So there was there was poverty around. I just suppose with the society in which we live on and we live in and surveys are conducted and social media, we're able to get the message out about the poverty but I, you know I think poverty was still there even with those very very uh, large families and then on the energy crisis that so many people are facing Tim in Ballincollig says why do standing charges differ across energy providers they can make up a significant proportion of your bill yet it's the ESB who takes care of all of the networks surely a maximum amount should be set. Also, if a customer takes on a day and a night meter, the standing charge goes up, as does the day rate. Why, when we're being requested to use more energy at night as opposed to during peak periods, why are they allowing this to happen? And I did a serve or, or an interview recently about the number of people who have smart meters and can go for that night and day uh, tariff, can go for smart tariffs. Very small proportion of people who have smart meters have taken up the smart tariff. And that's one of the reasons why, Tim, while you might get cheaper electricity at night, the nighttime rate doesn't kick in until 11 o'clock at night, I think until seven in the morning. And a lot of people are not comfortable about putting on dishwashers or tumble dryers or washing machines at night. Fire safety tells us not uh, to do that. And then because the day rate goes is much higher, people feel that is it going to be worth it to have this cheaper rate at night where you're not really using the electricity? And that's why there has been a call to reduce the hours of the nighttime rate to bring it back to, say, eight in the evening and maybe run it from eight in the evening until seven uh, in the morning. But I haven't seen any move on that uh, yet. But yeah, it does. People's bills can go high if they're using a lot during the day and they are on that smart meter uh, tariff. And Liz says, Patricia, why is it that the government are allowing the power providers, the electricity and gas providers to continue with these extremely high charges? Why are they not removing standing charges, VAT, etc., rather than giving the €200 credit that they have been given uh, to date? Liz would would prefer to see them go to the energy providers, force them to reduce their charges and also for the government to move in and maybe remove that and standing charges and that way everyone would benefit. 0818-103-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. A cashier is wanted for full and part-time position. It is in a bookmaker's in Mallow. The applicant needs to be over 18 and you do need to be computer literate. You email bbookmakers at gmail.com. Machine operators are wanted for duct laying works in the Cork area. Also operative with lugs training wanted 021 602 Munster Drone Services are recruiting for an office administrator. It's a full-time position and it's based in Mill Street. 
Email CVs and a cover letter, please, to HR at MunsterDroneServices.com. And taxi drivers are wanted for work in the Charleville and North Cork areas, 087-9753583. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And following on from some of the calls and comments coming into the programme this morning, I think nobody will be surprised to hear that 90% of Irish people want more government supports for home energy costs, with over half the population saying that the government should continue with the energy credits for at least the rest of this year. There's some of the findings from the latest Taxpayer Sentiment Survey. And uh, joining me from Taxback is their director, Marion Ryan. Good morning to you, Marion. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Now, we're hearing, Marion, that wholesale electricity prices are down 40% since last year, yet the retail electricity prices are up by more than 50%. It's quite galling for people, isn't it? It is, yeah. And it's really, I suppose, the I know the energy credit is on a, a pause, that we, shall we say, at the moment there, and it's not been reintroduced until the autumn time. But like, people are still feeling the pinch at the pumps, they're feeling the pinch with electricity, they're feeling the pinch in the pockets just with inflation at the level that it is at the at the moment there as well. So I suppose, yes, in theory, in the summer months, we're not going to have the heating on as much. Maybe we could cycle somewhere instead of taking the car there. But I suppose it's still, the cost is still huge for people there. And especially with the incremental return of the excise duty there on the petrol and diesel and stuff like that, when they're going to be increasing there from, from June onwards, people are really feeling the pinch and it is kind of sticking in people's throats there for them a bit. Yeah, and, and, and I know, as you say, we all use less electricity in the summer, but because electricity is so expensive at the moment, people are going to get bills in the summer that are much higher than they normally would be in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose like everyone, I think everyone is trying to cut their claw to their measure for the last 12, 15 months of this kind of energy crisis is going on there but like you, you can only turn off so many lights you can only do so much there but like if the cost of it is I think the cost of it is more than doubled I think is about what I've noticed there in the last couple of years there so like you're going to be getting a bill that probably would be similar to what you would have got after Christmas years yeah, ago after all yeah. the Christmas lights and stuff like that but that's what you're getting now in the summer and and the next bill to arrive into people's homes is going to be the first without that 200 euro credit on it isn't it yeah, absolutely. So there's going to be, it, they're going to be getting the full whack of it. So this is probably the first time in a long time that people are actually going to have to see the full impact of it there. There's no supplement in there. There's no government levy. There's no nothing in there. You'll be getting the full whack of the bill there. So it, it could be a saucy one for people. Yeah, and I mentioned that the Oireachtas Committee, the Environment Committee, um, they discussed the, I'm sure you're well aware, the issue of energy poverty yesterday. And the society of Vincent de Paul was saying that many households are facing multiple energy bills that they can't clear before the next one comes in. And that's the problem. You haven't paid off the last bill and the next one arrives in. Yeah. And it's all adding up and adding up on people. I suppose with inflation as as it is at the moment, everything's everything's more expensive, the, the cost of doing your shopping. And it's, it's the basics there, because even if you look at the CSO stats there that came out last week there, it was really interesting because the, the if you look at the what was driving inflation for people, the 
bottom 10% of people, like income levels there, what is driving their inflation for them is the basics. It's the things like the cost of electricity, the cost of foods and stuff like that. And then if we look at the flip side with there for the top 10% of earners there, it's actually it's the driver of inflation for them is things like hotels and stuff like that. But that's not, see, that's not going to... If, affects the people the bottom 10 percent earnings because they simply can't afford it yeah. their costs are going into the basics that to keep themselves keeping a roof over the heads and keeping food in, the, in their mouths yeah and of course the energy credits while they were very welcome they were only on electricity people had huge gas bills people had huge oil if they, if they were getting fills of oil went really yeah. expensive i know myself when i got a fill of oil i i, I was i was shocked uh, and there was no help given on either gas or oil sure there wasn't no, no. And I suppose, the, I suppose the logic behind that was that every household is going to have to have electricity so we can put it there onto that bill so that it could, ha- it could help there. I suppose not every house is going to have gas, not every house is going to have home heating oil. Some might have a combination of both. So I think the logic behind it was to put it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., onto the the heating there but that didn't help I suppose like if you if you're getting a fill of an, an oil tank that could be 1500 euros of a bill that someone's getting so I presume I imagine a lot of people were just going to top it up there by 50 euros top it up by 100 euros which isn't ideal either people want the security of knowing that I will have heating tomorrow if I press the button and I want to, to heat the house. Yeah that's why it's no surprise to see the Bernardo survey people uh a huge amount of uh, families that they surveyed turning off the heating, turning off the electricity, not to- not top topping up unless the children uh, needed yeah. it, needed it. And then the talking about the excise duty rates, we're, it's the first of June, isn't it? They're going to start to rise, which is only next week. Yeah, so they're going to they're incrementally going back to what they were. So there was the I suppose there was a while there where they were they were capped and stuff like that. But like from next week on there, you're going to see like an increase in maybe five cent a litre on petrol and diesel from the first of June. There you're going to see an increase there as well on on all that kind of sort of stuff there. So that again, that's another thing that's going to hit people there. So you're getting your first electricity bill without the subsidy there. So that's going to be an increase there for you. And then you're going to go and maybe you need to fill the car with diesel or petrol. And again, it's going to cost more their people so it's, what's, it's putting a lot of families that are struggling into into debt like they're borrowing if they can possibly borrow to, to pay their bills to, to just simply live they're not borrowing for a luxury they're not borrowing to get themselves the newest 2023 car they're borrowing to put food in the mouths to heat the house to keep a roof over their head so it's a, it's a worrying time for a lot of people Yeah and as we often speak about we'd have a lot of listeners in rural areas 
a car isn't a luxury. You, they have no choice but yeah. to put petrol or diesel in the car yeah. to either get themselves to work or get their children to school or go shopping for whatever they need to do. Absolutely. Like it, it like public transport is great if you're in, in an area that there is public transport. Again, there's a cost to that there as well, but there's many people hundreds and hundreds of thousands of us. Myself, I live in the country. I, I could not drop my child to the childminder without, without the car. I could not, well, yeah. I work from home, but I could not get to shop. Like it, and that's, I'm in a luxury there that I can afford to do this, but like, it's not simply a case that you can just say, okay, well, like, look, I'll walk the child the, the five miles down the road to the childminder <laughs> there. Luck, like, good it, luck it's, with not, that. it's not feasible. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Okay, and Marion Energy Companies, do they need to start stepping up to the plate or, or does this hedging argument, does that carry weight with you? Oh, I don't know, and look, I I hate speaking it because it's not my area of specialties, but like it it is it's galling to see people with huge like energy companies with profits in the hundreds of millions and billions there, and maybe there's supplement there's kind of areas given to discounts given to business and stuff like that, and that the the consumer themselves aren't getting it there. It, it's galling, but like I I just wouldn't want to speak to it there because I don't like to speak outside of my, okay. <laughs> my specialist area. Yeah, but it is it is hard, and and that's why uh, going back yeah. to what your survey is is saying, if we're not going to see a move by the energy companies, and if they're constantly saying you know we can't reduce it because we hedged, we bought eighteen months ago, two years ago, we have no choice. Therefore, yeah. it is up to the, it is up to the government and and like I mentioned at the, at the start of the program uh, today you know on the news wires is the, is the news you know that uh, Michael McGrath the Minister for Finance is going to go with a proposal to Cabinet on how Ireland what Ireland should do with the large co- corporation tax at windfall and some people are saying putting away for a rainy day it's raining now for many people they have the money yeah. they, they can give these credits can't they yeah they can and look I suppose it is a balancing act trying to figure out who needs what where like we've got the crisis in the hospitals with hospital beds as well I know it's a, a bit of a juggling act but as you said it is raining now like we were able to find the money and put it towards COVID sports when, when it was needed they're like how worse do they need it to get before they go right okay now it's time to to step in and help people there so like they do need to make just make it so that people that are on the lower incomes can actually survive and that people that are working and working full times and maybe there's dual income households there, there should be no reason why they're worrying about paying for their electricity bill or, or doing their, their weekly grocery shop. It, it yeah. should be something that's at least covered by, if you're earning, you should be able to cover it survive. Yeah, and unfortunately that's not the case. All right, listen, Marion, always a pleasure to speak yeah. with you. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Marion Ryan, who is a director of uh, Taxback, talking about their latest taxpayer sentiment uh, survey. And as I say, 90% of people want the government to continue with those €200 Euro, uh, supports. Uh, Nick Nancy in Bantry says, could they not use the Apple money, which is over £13 billion? Did you see it's in an escrow account? They've invested it and it's actually gone down. It's gone down slightly to what Apple put in. But anyway, uh, but and it's before the European Union at the moment. But the Irish government are saying they don't want it. And Apple obviously don't want to give it to us. And the European Union are saying that they should be paying it here. And the argument rumbles on. Anyway, Nancy says, let's take that Apple money and use it uh, to clear some of the national debt. If that was done, it might improve the cost of living eventually rather than having that national debt hanging 
over us all the time. And of course, the problem with the national debt, which is way more than uh, 13 billion, it's the interest you pay on the national debt. That's one of the reasons why it's always if, if the government have money and it's not needed anywhere else, it is always a good idea to pay off some of that uh, debt because the interest on it is huge. Everyone has a blood pressure and the blood pressure is the amount of force your blood uses to pump blood around your body. So do you know what your blood pressure is? And could you be walking around with undiagnosed and therefore untreated high blood pressure? To offer advice, I'm joined by Dr Angie Brown and Angie is consultant cardiologist and she is the medical director with the Irish Heart Foundation. Good morning, Angie. Uh, good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. Do you believe many people have undiagnosed high blood pressure in this country? Yes, unfortunately, it's very common and it gets more common as you get older. So, in fact, two out of three people over 50 have high blood pressure. And we call it the silent killer because for the vast majority of people, it's asymptomatic. So half of those people don't even know they have high blood pressure. And even if they do know they have high blood pressure, they may be on treatment, but their blood pressure may still be elevated. So it's extremely common. Is high blood pressure hereditary? It can be hereditary um, and certainly if you have a family history, it's even more important to get your blood pressure checked. But we're seeing uh, rising levels of high blood pressure. It increases as you get older. We're becoming more sedentary. We're eating a lot more processed foods and not enough um, fruit and vegetables. So salt will put up your blood pressure if you put on weight, uh, if you smoke. um, uh, All of these can increase your blood pressure. And there are other, there are other causes, um, but these are less common. So things like kidney disease, sleep apnea, thyroid problems. Um, if you have problems with producing too much steroid, a thing called Cushing syndrome. And there are a few other things that can increase your blood pressure, as well as some medications such as steroids um, and non-steroidals can all put up your blood pressure as well. But for the mo- for the a vast majority of people, we don't really know why the blood pressure is high, but we can often improve it by these lifestyle measures. So increasing the amount of exercise you do, uh, and that might just be brisk walking. Try and do that for half an hour uh, every day if you can, with maybe some high intensity exercise if you're able. Having a better diet, so cutting out all the extra salt, trying to eat less processed food. So more vegetables, chicken and fish, um, less sauces, anything that's in a tin um, or in a in a jar. These things that have a long shelf life, they may have a lot of salt in as a preservative. So we can improve our blood pressure an awful lot by modifying those things. Does it mean losing weight? Losing weight will certainly improve your blood pressure. And over COVID, I think for the vast majority of us, we kind of did a little bit less exercise. Mm. Uh, We're working from home and um, we did a bit of comfort eating. So a lot of people have put on weight. So that's certainly is a cause of uh, high blood pressure. But I was interested to hear you say, you know, there are no symptoms. So therefore, the only way to know if you have high blood pressure is to get it checked. And I, I take it to get it checked regularly. Absolutely. 
the, your blood pressure or in, risk of high blood pressure increases as we get older. You should get it checked at least once when you're 30 and then get it done every five years. Over 50, you should get it done more often. And obviously, if your blood pressure was elevated, then it needs to be done much more frequently. Um, and if you've started on medication for blood pressure, it still needs to be checked regularly to make sure the blood pressure control is good. And blood pressure can change with stress, with diet, with, as we've said, increasing weight. So it will change an awful lot over the course of your life. So because you have a normal blood pressure age 30, it doesn't mean your blood pressure will be normal when you're 50. So it is really important to get it checked either in the pharmacy or with your local GP or, you know, we have um, mobile health units. Um, and sometimes if you're in hospital, they'll tell you what your blood pressure is. So all of these are opportunities to get your blood pressure checked, find out what it is and if it's normal. And what are the dangers, Angie, of untreated high blood pressure? And what I said in the introduction, you know, people walking around with high blood pressure and not realising that they have it. Well, it significantly increases your risk of stroke. It increases your risk of heart attack, of heart failure, kidney failure, dementia, blindness, um, impotence. So it has an awful lot of severe consequences if we don't treat it. But the good news is that it's treatable um, by the lifestyle measures I've mentioned, but many people need to go on medication. And there's lots of different tablets out there, so we can always find something to suit you. And that might take a little bit of time, but it's very important if you're given tablets for high blood pressure that you stay on them. If they don't suit you, you have a chat with your GP and change to ones that will suit you better. So even anyone listening to us who's on a blood pressure uh, tablet thinking, oh, I'm OK, I got it diagnosed, I'm taking the tablets. You're saying they still need to be checking in with their doctor to make sure that those tablets are working properly. Absolutely. You know, those people should be getting a regular checkup with their GP when they get their, their tablets um, pre-prescribed. Uh, so uh, the blood pressure should be checked then just to make sure the tablets don't need modifying. So absolutely keep getting your blood pressure checked. OK, all right. That's our message. And just finally, what about somebody who has a low blood pressure? Is that, is, is, is that concerning to people? So most people, low blood pressure is is not a problem, but obviously uh, for some people with low blood pressure, it can make you dizzy. Now, there are causes of low blood pressure if you're very unwell, if you've got infections or if you're bleeding or if you're very dehydrated. So obviously, if it's something like that, that needs treating with antibiotics, or you might need a blood transfusion or some fluids. For other people with low blood pressure, it might need to be investigated if it's very low to make sure it's not due to uh, a lack of hormones. Um, but for a lot of people, the low blood pressure doesn't cause them any problem and that's fine. Sometimes as you get older, it becomes difficult because you can have high blood pressure and low blood pressure wow. um, and that can be more difficult to treat. So, But there are, there are various different things that we can t do to try and manage that. But it's all about making the diagnosis and then we can manage it. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the, the key message uh, here, we, ha we have an ageing population, so we can expect more and more people to start presenting with high blood pressure. But it's a little bit like the message, you know, that's always going out about cholesterol, know your cholesterol. We need to start getting that absolutely. message across about know your high blood pressure, know what your blood pressure rate absolutely. is. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely, know what it is and uh, keep getting it checked. OK, thank you. Thank you for that, um, Angie. Have a good day and thank you for joining us. 
And of course, bye bye. That is Dr. Angie Brown, Medical Director of the Irish Heart Foundation and also a consultant cardiologist. And of course, we've teamed up with the Irish Heart Foundation all this week just to get the message through about high blood pressure and how important it is to know your high blood pressure. And in the next hour, we'll be giving away another one of our Fitbits, trying to keep everybody fit and uh, healthy. Marion from Oi walks every day for four miles and uh, constantly getting her blood pressure uh, checked. And unfortunately, she has high blood pressure. She stays away from all salts, all the processed foods that Dr. Angie spoke about. She feels it's genetic. Uh, and even with the walking, it makes no difference. And there is a genetic link. I mean, I think that has been uh, proven. But as Angie said, keep checking back in with your doctor. There are medications there. First medication might work out for you, but you would eventually, by going to your doctor regularly, you will find uh, a medication that will help. But you're doing all the right things by staying away from the sauce and the processed foods, etc. And keep up the exercise. It'll be good for you as well. 0818 uh, Gardening questions, by the way, you can get some gardening questions into us because Peter Dowdell fresh from the Chelsea Flower Show don't you know will be joining us um, in the next hour and it's great weather to get out and about to get fit and active and that's what we're trying to do this week by giving away Fitbits in association with the Irish Heart Foundation if you want to take part and try and win yourself a Fitbit I need you to call John Paul now uh, please at uh, 0818 103103 Caller 5 to get through now will join me on air. I will give you 15 seconds to name five things on a particular subject and if you you name the five items in the 15 seconds, we've had great success so far this week. You'll win for yourself a Fitbit Inspire 3. But the best thing about this competition is all of our daily prize winners, they go forward to a draw. We'll hold the draw on the programme on Friday when we get our fifth and final qualifier and then one name will come out of the hat and that lucky listener will win a 250 voucher for Hotel Kilkenny as we've been talking about today on the programme two in three people over the age of 50 in Ireland actually have high blood pressure but only half of those people are actually aware of it and that's why the Irish Heart Foundation want everybody to get your blood pressure checked annually at your GP or you can pop into your local friendly pharmacy they'll be able to check your blood pressure and you can find out more information as well at irishheart.ie and the idea of giving away the Fitbits is to try to help people stay as healthy as possible and then when you're lovely and healthy you'll be able to go away for a night away to Hotel uh, Kilkenny. Okay, who do we have on line two? It is uh, Sinead Cronin. We're going to uh, Don Manway. Uh, Good afternoon Sinead. Hello. How how are you today? Good, good, thank you. Is the sun shining in Don Manway? It's beautiful, yeah. It's gorgeous. It's great. It's great weather, isn't it? We, we, oh, fabulous. You would yeah. never want to leave this country once the sun is when the sun is shining. No, no, definitely not. Now, definitely are you, not. are you a fit person? Do you like to get out and about for walks? A bit, a bit. My, yeah, some uh, bit. Yeah. Well, if we, if, I'll, if I'd you, like to be better at it, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but if you win a Fitbit, it might encourage you to walk as well. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. have you heard the previous contestants earlier on in the week? No, no. I didn't. Okay, no. I'm going to. I'll hit a clock a countdown clock in a minute yeah, there's 15 seconds on the clock and you so you have 15 seconds to name five things and the five things the particular subject today is Sinead I need you to name five sports that it that are played with a ball 
Five okay. sports with a ball. Go. Basketball, tennis, football, ho- uh, hockey, um, rounders. Uh, That's it. You've got the five. You've got the five. Well done. I don't know why we're giving people 15 seconds. Most people are doing <laughs> it. You did it in well under 10. I think about seven seconds. OK, Very you've good. won the Fitbit Inspired 3 and oh, your name fair. also goes forward. Uh, could you do with a, a nice night away in Hotel Kilkenny? Oh, wow. Yeah, be lovely. <laughs> well, stay tuned on Friday. Your name could be coming out of the hat. Congratulations, Sinead. Thanks so much, Patricia. And thanks, thanks for making the call. Bye-bye. Sinead Cronin in uh, Dunmanway, our latest winner in association with the Irish Heart Foundation. Please keep an eye on your blood pressure, uh, folks. And, of course, we have another fantastic competition all this week. This is our competition where we've teamed up with the Mallow Home and Garden Festival. Mallow Home and Garden Festival is one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals. It's happening this coming weekend. It's on Friday, Saturday. Saturday and uh, Sunday and we've teamed up with Mallow Garden Festival and they have given us a 500 euro voucher for Julux paint uh, but you also get a colour, colour consultant who will come out to your house to help you pick your colour scheme. All of our questions this week are to do with colours. Now today's question is white with a little bit of red will make what colour? Oh, I'm interested in the answers on this one. White with a little bit of red will make what colour? Now, I need you to text the colour along with your name and address, please. And you text your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. White with a little bit of red will make what colour? Get texting or WhatsApping on that, uh, please. And then we'll leave it open for about 10 minutes because I'll need to clear the text and the WhatsApps for gardening questions, obviously, because Peter Dowdell will be joining us a, a little bit later on on the programme. It being Wednesday, but get a texting. If you would like to be a step closer to winning a 500 euro voucher for Dulux paint, red and a tiny bit White and a tiny bit of red mixed together makes what uh, colour? All in association with the Mallow Garden Festival Cork Race Course, May 26th. 27th and 28th. As we have been uh, commentating on on the news this morning, the latest Fine Gael TD to announce he won't be contesting the next election is another one of our own. This time it's Cork East's David Stanton. He becomes the fifth Fine Gael deputy to announce his intention to step away from politics at the next election. And he takes time out to join me. Good afternoon to you, David. Hello, Patricia. An easy or a tough decision, David? Oh, I love the job. Um, I, I'm 26 years doing it. Um, uh, had a huge support in the constituency. Um, had a lot of good friends. I had, still have, and my my family were very supportive. So it's 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 always difficult when you like something. But I've got to be realistic. I have 26 years now, uh, served six elections, and um, I'm not getting any younger. So I said I must make make way for someone else and do it in time, so that it's not a last minute decision and people are scrambling for position. And then I owe it to my family as well to give them time. And I, I don't want to be rambling around Leinster House when I'm in my 70s. So I think now is a good time to do it and to give people time to, you know, make up their minds if they if somebody else wants to come forward and contest a convention and have a go. You know. Did anybody locally try to talk you out of it? Um, I, I kind of made a decision a while back, and I had let it be. I dropped hints a lot around the place that I wasn't going to be going forward the next time, and I didn't get. I'm, 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 I've got some very, very good uh, messages this, last evening and this morning from all over, but um, and, and that's that's lovely. Sometimes I think they're talking about somebody else, but anyway, the thing is that nobody has. I think I've. I've prepared the ground with 
family and friends, close friends and acquaintances for a little while now that this was going to be the decision, yeah. As I mentioned, you are the fifth to uh, announce that you won't seek uh, re-election. Is this causing a major headache for your leader, the Taoiseach Leavaradkar? Oh, not at all. Everybody who, who has decided not to run has, everybody has his, or her own, has his own reasons for not doing so. And I have mine, and mine are, as I say, I've said 26 years, I'm of an age now where I really have to kind of take stock and kind of maybe think about slowing down a little bit. And this job is very, very demanding. And there are a lot of, uh, we have a lot of councillors and senators out there, a lot of young people, and it's time for renewal and get new people forward. And I look forward to supporting whoever gets the nomination in Cork East. And remember, we have boundaries as well. Boundary Commission has to come forward and make their decisions, which might change things. But all of my colleagues who went forward, or who aren't going forward, have their own reasons and have actually, in fairness, given uh, enough notice and time so that the party and other colleagues can get ready and get and candidates can be identified. Yeah. So no, it's not a headache. In fact, it might be a huge opportunity for us to renew and get new people in with new ideas. The last time uh, we had, I think we elected five new TDs, two of them are now ministers. So you can see how this, this particular role, this particular job can provide opportunities for renewal and growth and change and that's hugely important. And as you mentioned your your 26 years since you were first elected it was back in uh, 1997 and yeah. you know I had to stop because I remember being there at the count the night you were first elected it's hard to believe that it's 26 years did you did you foresee that you'd stay in the job that long? God no I I I thought um, I thought I'd, I'd be looking to, to maybe spend four or five, and at that time, I think the government that was formed under Bertie Ahern had a majority of two, and there was always a, a risk that something would happen. And in the, in the election that followed that, I you know hung on really. My my good colleague Paul Bradford didn't, and um, unfortunately at that time, because I had a great time for Paul, he was a very good public representative as well. But I just hung on, and then you know I had a couple of good elections. The last election was was tough as well. Winter elections are very, very difficult, especially in rural areas if you have to go out the boat. But I didn't see I'd last this long at all. Uh, I didn't even think about it. But the job is so varied, so interesting, um, so challenging, so all-consuming that if you like it, it's the best job in the world. It's been a huge privilege to represent the people in East Cork. Uh, all, all this time, right? And I, look, I haven't gone away. There's still a year and a bit left, so I'm going okay, to still okay. have the sleeves rolled and, up, and, and I'll keep and, at it. And you know, while you talk about some very tough uh, campaigns, do you believe the next general election is going to be very hard fought? One, particularly for the parties currently in government. We know uh, Sinn Fein are doing so well in the opinion polls, and we know that they're not going to make the mistake that they made the last time that they're running two candidates now in many constituencies. Is it going to be a real dogfight? Well, every election is tough. Every election is different. And, you know, everybody starts off with no votes, uh, regardless of polls. And the campaigns themselves bring up, have their own dynamic, their own personality. As you go through an election campaign, things happen uh, that make people... And most people don't think of politics, you know, from one end of the week to the other. You and I and others like us probably do because this is what we do. But a lot of people don't. They get on with their lives. They work hard. And... You know, the fact that we have so many people now in employment, 2.61 million people, 100,000 new jobs created last year. One of the big problems we have at the moment is full employment because we have a we have a worker shortage, we have a labor shortage. And way back in 97 and I mean, years since then, I never thought that we'd have a problem of, of, of a labor shortage. And, you know, I remember when I was teaching, we had a module preparing young people for for immigration. 
I mean, that that, that, that was happened. the reality. That, but we that was have, the reality. But we have I, a cost of living uh, crisis. And I was only focusing on the Bernardo's uh, survey that's out. I mean, we have families who are really struggling at the moment, David. We have. There's, off, there's also an awful lot of support for families. The community welfare officers are out there. They are giving people a lot of support. And over the last while, I mean, we've gone through the pandemic. And because our economy is going so well, the government was in a position to make a lot of funding available for businesses and employers and workers to stay in their jobs, even though they weren't going to work. Places were closed down, but they still got paid. And the same is true with the uh, war in Ukraine, which has led now to this huge cost of living crisis and prices in electricity and power, which is leading to other costs and so on along the way. We've also been able to give a lot of money to families and people to support them on that. And, you know, thankfully, because we have of our pro-enterprise policy and pro-business policy, we have a massive budget surplus. And we're able, and I expect the next budget will also be quite generous, as was the last one. And we had a, a kind of a mini budget a few months ago where we gave a lot of money out as well. And if, if you go back over the years I've been in here, very many years governments were, were scrimping and scratching for, for money. But, but that's not the case now. We're doing very well economically. I think Ireland is one of the best countries in the world to live in. When you look what's happening in, in you know, different continents in South America, in Africa, in Asia, and so on, even in the States and other places, we are doing so well here. Uh, and we should, I think, talk our country up and look at the positives a lot more than we've been doing. But there is help out there for people that need help. And I know there are people struggling. I know there are people under pressure. Um, but, you know... The help is there because we have the actual uh, we have the actual funding to do it. Yeah, I think often what happens though is people need to reach out and and get that help. Um, it's because I know we would deal with people who contact us and we'd suggest have you reached out and some people for whatever reason uh, just find it uh, difficult. And when you look back on your twenty six years, I'm I'm assuming when you were minister of state, would that have been the highlight? Do you think of your career? Yes, that was uh, an extraordinarily busy time, um, very demanding, very fulfilling as well. Got a lot of stuff over the line, got a lot of stuff started. I was very anxious to get the gambling regulator in place, and there was a lot of groundwork to be done there, and I worked very hard that I got one piece of gambling legislation through and lotteries and raffles and things, and then I did the groundwork for the big one, and my good colleague James Brown came in and finished it off, and um, we now have a gambling regulator. We have all that legislation. The missing persons day was something that actually came from Davis College in Mallow. Mallow. Oh, yeah, and, and it's still going on. It's oh, fantastic. I look at it. I, I, I met the students from Allo the way back then, and they, I brought them up. I was chair of the Justice Committee. I brought them up here to Linster House. They made a presentation to the committee. We were all blown away by what they had to say. And I went to Alan Shatter, who was minister, and I championed uh, with them the idea of a National Missing Persons Day. And we kept at it. We did a report from the committee on it. And in fairness to the minister at the time, he agreed to set it up, and it's there since. And yeah. it's making such a huge difference to people. That's the, That's kind of politics from the grassroots, from young people who had an idea and brought it forward and away we went and there it is today and it's, it's making a massive difference for people. They can they have a place to go every year where they can remember their last ones, their missing persons and I've been at all of them and I can tell you it, it got so big that this year they had to move to Croke Park. They did, yeah. It's you fantastic. It's, it, was, it was brilliant. The okay. other thing, the other thing that was yet. really interesting was the youth justice and we did the youth justice strategy. We spent a full year working on that with experts from all over that space and that's out there as well. I, I, I felt that, you know, where a young story is, is at risk of uh, you know, drifting into antisocial behaviour and crime, that we need early intervention with all the agencies working together and we need a proper strategy and resources. And again, we did that and, and the Department of Justice are following through and putting a lot of money into it. So that's another one that I was okay. quite happy about. And then, of course, the coercive control 
the other one which I was very happy to bring forward in the Shannon, that now is a, the law in Ireland whereby if, if someone is subjected to coercive control, uh, they can get help and the person who's subjecting them to it can be prosecuted. And there are people who are serving time now for, for that awful crime. Yeah, and it was something we didn't even know the meaning of the word. We didn't, exactly. And it was there, but we just yeah. didn't know what it was. OK, a yeah. lot of people wanting to wish you well, but I just want to mention the parents of Carrick Toohill Community College yeah. were on to us, want to wish you the very best of luck. You were behind the school at the very start <laughs> and you gave up a lot of your time and they're grateful and want to wish you all the best. So Great. to finish with, what are the retirement plans? What are your future well, plans? I, I don't like the word retirement. <laughs> You're um, too young for that. Well, maybe, but but I, I like the, to to move on to something else. I, I'm quite involved in um, the the Open Doors Initiative. I'm on the board of that, which is something I was I worked to set up. Open Doors which actually provides pathways to work for people who are marginalised. That's doing enormous work. It's business based, but it's doing great work. And then. In, in, in my own hometown in Middleton, we have, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Patricia, it's uh, my place, Community Central, down there. And I we have. We, 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 I did some interviews on it. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I drove that on with a great team of, of, of committee down there, and I'm really proud of to have done that because we did need a huge store community centre in the town, and we, we, we put it on a further extension because the, the, the actual need for it is great. I mean, build it and he will come or they will come. And, and that happened there. There are over a thousand people a week using it. So that those kind of initiatives ground on the ground is what really kind of makes me get up in the morning. And look, it's important that we, we look, as I said, at the positive. We have a fantastic country, the best country in the world, I would maintain. And we're up there with all the metrics, whether it's standard of quality of life, standard of living, the whole lot. We're all up there on the first five or six um, United Nations metrics and all the others across the world all the time. We're there. Freedom and we should value what we have, talk our country up and drive on. And that's what I want to continue to okay. do. Now, I'm not going yet, you know, I have another year. I know, I know. And Can I also I, say that well, just as I, have, as I have you there, that you are probably one of the best interviewers I've ever come across. Oh, you're very kind. You're, uh, very I mean, kind. you're professional, you're, you're, you're really good. Well, well that's very kind too. of it. That's very kind. And on that positive note, we leave it. We will speak okay. again, David. But thank you Indeed. for that. And thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. Or good afternoon, as it is. That is uh, Cork East Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy. For the moment, David Stanton become the next ele- general election. He is uh, bowing out. 0818 103 103. You can stop texting us again. A huge reaction for our Mallow Home and Gardens uh, competition. The 500 euro voucher for Dulux paint with a colour concern. Consultant. It's going to be given away on Friday and going into the hat is Margaret Murphy from Darkwood in Dunmanway. Isn't that a lovely address? Margaret Murphy, Darkwood in Dunmanway. Congratulations to you, Margaret. You're one step closer to winning that €500 Euro voucher and a colour consultant to come to your house to help you work out your colour scheme. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. It's our competition with the Mallow uh, Home and Gardens Festival. It's on at the race course in Mallow May 26th, 27th and 28th this weekend. There's a free bus service from Mallow train station if you're going by train and they'll have over two hundred exhibitors and they reckon there'll be at least five minutes five million plants on sale the c103 cork diary with cork county council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county see corkcoco.ie 
The AIB in Bantry are hosting an easy banking workshop. It's at five o'clock this evening and it's to show how everyday banking can be quick, safe and easy on your mobile phone and no experience of online banking is required. And tomorrow, Thursday, nine Ukrainian short comedy films will be shown in Skolvira in Kanturk. It'll be Thursday night at six, Thursday evening at 6 p.m. It's a great opportunity to get to see the Ukrainian cinema. Admission free, but registration is necessary at ARLUKOR, and that's at uh, gmail.com. The Fremont branch of the Irish Red Cross are holding a fundraising dance in Fremont Community Centre. That's on Friday night. Dancing is to Declan Anger. Uh, doors will open at 8, admission 10 euro and refreshments will be served. And the mass to mark the birthday of St. Padre Pio will be celebrated at Enniskeen Parish Church on Friday evening at 7.30. Blessings with the relics of St. Pio will be from 6.30 and they'll be done again after mass. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See mig.ie You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at c103.ie and apo- today on C103. And apologies, when I was calling out the qualifier for the Malahome and Garden Festival, I st- forgot to give the answer. People say, what was the answer, Patricia? Uh, white and a tiny bit of red will give you pink. That was the colour we were looking for and we got all different variations on pink, including Jim who said pink to make the boys wink. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. And thank you to a number of people on the Rob and remember the listener who contacted us and was kind of a bit spooked. She didn't know whether it was good luck or bad luck or Robin uh, sitting on the window of her car yesterday, the mirror and then it flew to the other side and it just stayed there. She was parked up waiting for somebody who was in at a doctor's appointment and she was wondering how would other people view that happening. Uh, Nula uh, says... I was at a family funeral. We were all at the graveside and just as the coffin was being lowered into the ground, a robin appeared next to the graveside and all was staring at us. The priest even stopped and said, look, we have a visitor. Hi, Patricia. I often see robins coming into my yard. I always think it is my mum and dad coming to check up on me and make sure I am OK. And in Newmarket said a robin came into my home helps house and she started roaring. Put it out. It's a sign of death. Uh, some people are quite superstitious about robins. Some years ago, said somebody else, uh, when I was young at home, my mother used to be terrified if a robin flew anywhere near the door. Once a robin came in and pecked at a picture a robin was never her favourite bird I think it's a lovely bird but wouldn't be my favourite birdie says this particular texter uh, thank you for that so kind of most people saying it brings luck others saying no they're a bit superstitious about it so thank you and just a couple of texts in on cost of living listen to this when we're talking about the, the mounting costs of people in arrears on their energy bill Sheila says I live near um, an elderly man. He lives on his own. And we were talking only a few weeks ago about the cost of energy and the 200 euro credit that we got on the electricity. And he said that when the first 200 euro came in, he uh, treated himself to a nice, warm, hot bath. And obviously it was the first time he'd done it in quite some time because he was afraid of obviously putting on the immersion, I'm assuming. Pat in Limerick says, Hi Patricia, the whole situation is getting out of hand with increases and we're not getting 
proper reductions on anything. What is putting six cents, this is the carbon tax that goes in on the first, back in on the 1st of June, what is the point of putting that on petrol and diesel? What's that going to do for the, for the climate? It is a pure load of waffle by the Green Party. It is their Green Party-led agenda. And where are our local Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael members that we elected? They're accepting all of this and then putting hardship and making their constituents suffer. That's from Pat in uh, Limerick. Um, Sheila says there was a person on Patricia earlier talking about the large families that were there 40, 50 years ago and where was the poverty then and you know they lived there could have been 6 or 10 inside in the house what that gentleman forgot to mention was back in those times that there was 10 children in a family as soon as the boy or girl reached the age of 14 they were packed off with a suitcase and made to leave uh, the country that's the way families were able to raise 10 uh, children. That's how it happened. There was uh, poverty. And someone else says, Patricia, there was always poverty, even in my time. And that's 70 odd years ago. When I went to school, I remember there was children that used to be grabbing our lunches when we'd be walking if they got the chance and they'd take whatever we have, even if it was only a penny bar. It's only when I grew up, I started to realise that those boys and girls that were doing that were very poor and they were probably hungry. They never had their own lunch and certainly they never had any treats. People were are badly off now, but and in the olden days, there was also poverty as well. But there isn't huge bills, as this texture, like like there is now. So life is tough, especially for our young working uh, couples. And a Kerry listener says, hi, Patricia. Some people have the mistaken belief that when the government increased fuel allowance, that they were in some way tackling fuel poverty. This is factually incorrect. What you have to remember with the fuel allowance. It is means tested and not everyone qualifies. Yes, the 200 euro government electricity credit helped all because everybody was getting it and therefore it was fair and right and just. Many in low paid jobs etc. won't qualify for the fuel allowance and that includes me at the age of 70. Uh, would uh, But we all automatically qualified for the electricity sub- subsidy with no red tape, uh, says the Kerry listener. Can I say to you if you, are, if you have recently reached the age of 70 there was changes to the fuel allowance that was introduced on the 1st of January which has allowed more people over the age of 70 to qualify for the fuel allowance. You may have been turned down in the past on the means test. I would suggest to you to apply again uh, because there was very generous movement on the means test for people over 70 and many people over the age of 70 now are entitled to the fuel allowance and when they had applied before they weren't so I would be suggesting to you to our Kerry listener to apply again OK let's take a quick break and Peter Dowdle is going to join us answering your gardening question if you have any gardening questions get them in John Paul is taking calls at 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp a gardening question 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103 Gardening with the Mallow Home and Garden Festival, May 26th to 28th at Cork Racecourse Mallow. It's too big to miss. And fresh from the Chelsea Flower Show, Peter Dowdle uh, joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon, Peter. Fresh from the Chelsea and on the way to Mallow. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? Absolutely. Your back-to-back garden festivals. I've been reading your pieces that you've been writing in the Examiner from the the garden, uh, from the flower show in Chelsea. And I also saw that video that you put up of, I didn't realise, I think there's a core connection. The, is it the, the mind garden, the one with the glass? 
steps. Yes, Cavernoma on my mind, yes, and Hamilton and, and Tynus Wono. Yeah, it's a fabulous garden. Anne is a, a, cork, a cork-based garden designer and they, they developed this garden to highlight a rare disease called Cavernoma, which which I had not, never heard of until a few months ago when they, they started on it. But they've 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 built created this really beautiful garden uh, uh, but that they've they've done so without a sponsor um so they've done it by GoFundMe and 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 looking for a sponsor and like they're really obviously very driven and very tenacious and they managed to to build a show garden in Chelsea with no sponsor which is unheard wow. of it's unheard of Trish but also it's um it's very disappointing for Ireland that there isn't. It's not being sponsored. There's three Irish exhibitors over there. Now one of them has a sponsor. It's it's just. Oh my goodness! I don't know. I, I, and it's it won another, it, another, it, another it, story. Another it won, story. It won a silver medal. But do you reckon the People's Choice Awards? It could be him with a chance of that. I think it certainly could be. Uh, yeah, it certainly could be. And then there's Billy Alexander and Kerry, who who has a in the in the pavilion. He has a a nursery exhibit, and he won a gold medal. And then you've done a Cahill from Galway, who's a fantastic Irish sculptor, and he got it's a different system of grading because it's a trade trade stand. But he got four out of five stars in the trade stand. And to get these levels in Chelsea, it's no easy feat, and it's you know. It's world world class stuff, and none of them none of them are being supported by our sponsors, which is such a pity. I saw a little bit on the BBC last night, uh, Billy's uh, garden, because I'm a huge fan of uh, ferns. How did he move those fern trees to Chelsea? Well. well the logistics of not just Billy Alexander's thing in Chelsea, but the logistics of any of the like Billy's is a is a nursery display, a nursery exhibit. Um, so that's one thing, and it, like you, it, the answer to your question is, it's, they're moved by forty foot truck, and the logistics of just you know, Incredible. Billy is just one of a couple of hundred people exhibiting there. So you can imagine the logistical nightmare uh, for for the show organisers for getting everybody getting these plants into into situation. I just it it boggles the mind. And that's the one difference. And I was speaking with uh, Porik uh, Horkin yesterday on the programme. That's the one difference between a garden festival like Chelsea and the Mallow Home and Gardens Festival. We've got these wonderful permanent gardens. We have the permanent gardens in Mallow are great because what they do is we'll never be able to compete with, with Chelsea in terms of standard and budgets because it's just a different world. But what we do have and what we can do in Mallow, and it's brilliant because it's unique to Ireland, is that we have the permanent gardens. And what they do is they might be less glitzy and glamorous, but they also don't come with the, the, the six-figure price tag. Mm. But they give you the, the, they give the, the visitors the, the, you know, you can see how things will mature. So it's all fine, us talking there about Chelsea. And I mean, it, it's, you know, no disrespect to anybody, but it's relatively easy to get something to look well for four or five days. But it's it's how it matures is what we all need to see in the garden. So Mano gives us that in that the maturity of, obviously a lot of the gardens are revamped each year, but the maturity of the hedges and the trees, they're all, they're all there since year one. So it gives you an idea, okay, if I plant this now, this is how it's going to look in 20 years' time, which I think is fantastic. I really yeah, do think brilliant. that's a unique opportunity it's that Mallow has above all the others. And, and you're there every day, two o'clock on Friday, three o'clock on Saturday and two o'clock on Friday, delivering your lecture. And you're, you're, you're focusing on green gardens, isn't it, this year? I am in particular, yeah, like the, the, in in how we can be environmentally sound in the garden and and just nice, attractive ways to be. Because most of us, obviously, if not probably all of us, want to be environmentally sound in the garden. So it's just a few pointers as to how to do that and still have a a beautiful garden. 
Okay, well done. Okay, let me get into some uh, questions that have come in for you. And I know John Paul sent on the the pictures here on this one because it came in in uh, time. I have lots of wild garlic, says this listener, as you can see from the photo. The heavy crop is growing happily sideways to the main garden and then there are lots of little patches here and there over half an acre or more. Can it be used for cooking or can it be eaten? It's completely organic as I don't believe in spraying anything toxic. Go you. Moss on the lawn is even under control by the lawnmower only and weeds are handpicked and treated with salt. So garlic, organic and clean. Lovely smell when cutting around and trimming it. But can I use it? Yes, absolutely. Every bit of it is edible. So yeah, you can. You can chop it in through salads, soups. Um, yeah, you can make pesto with it. Like anything that you'd use normal garlic, it'll give you that garlic flavor. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the short answer to the question is absolutely. You can eat it raw or cooked. Okay, Michelle has a rhododendron. It's not dead yet, but it does look like it's dying off. And I mean, she sent in the picture, but unfortunately, it's coming too late. Uh, it can it be saved, and it looks. Fairly dead looking, but not fully dead yet. A rhododendron, what would cause a rhododendron to die off? It could be one of several things. Is it? I haven't seen the photograph, but you have, Trish. Is it a mature one or does it look like a new one? Um, it looks fairly small enough and it just looks like it's all gone brown. See, it could be if it's if it's small and relatively new, uh, it, it could just be a case of it dried out. So I know I know we've had an awful lot of rain during this winter, but in the last month actually it's been quite dry. So it could just be if it's new that it dried out, which would do it. If it's a more mature plant, uh, and this can happen to new plants as well, but uh, it tends to happen to more mature plants that it would be some type of fungal infection like Phytophthora or one of these guys, um, which are nasty things to get in the garden, unfortunately, but they're becoming more and more prevalent. Um, but without seeing it, I can't say for sure, but I will certainly have a look at it between now and next week. Okay, and we'll, if we'll, I have any shit, we'll send it on. We'll, come back to it next we'll, week. we'll send it on. Okay, your, your, your phone is, is playing up a little bit. So let me just get in one final question. A listener says, can I move a hosta? It's growing under a buddleia bush. You can move a hosta, absolutely, but definitely not at this time of the year. The time to move hostas is, is middle of the winter when the plant is fast asleep under the ground. I don't dream of moving it now because you could you could end up killing it, but it can be moved quite successfully at the right time of the year. Okay, I'll let you go because the, the line is deteriorating. Listen, enjoy the Garden Festival in uh, Mallow and you're open to people coming up and chatting and asking questions. Uh, Court delighted. I wouldn't yeah. be there if I wasn't delighted. Absolutely. I'm looking forward. Uh, hopefully I'll see you there, Trish. I'm okay, and the sun, the forecast is fantastic for the weekend. Good. It's always, it's always sunny in Mallow, I think, isn't it? It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, enjoy the weekend <laughs> and we'll talk next week, Peter. Thank you for that. That is uh, Peter Dowdle at the IrishGardener.com. And as I say, he is at the Mallow Garden Festival. He will be giving daily lectures on green gardens and looking at gardening from an, an environmentalist point of view and sharing some tips on how to make sure your garden uh, sparkles. But at the same time, it's environmentally sound. It'll be in the seminar room, as I say, two o'clock of you going on Friday. His lecture is at three o'clock on Saturday and it is back to the two o'clock on uh, Sunday. And as always, at any of those lectures, you do get the opportunity to ask questions as well. OK, just a couple of texts in. There was one there that I wanted to give a mention uh, to. Oh, this was a listener who contacted us earlier when we were when we were talking about prize bonds earlier on in the week. I wonder, we know somebody in County Cork got a letter yesterday to say they won 50,000. I'd love to think it's one 
one of our listeners if it is I hope you have fun and it brings you lots of uh, luck somebody said that they had a prize bond uh, it was just one unit it was purchased back in 1984 and they never won anything on it and thinking of cashing it in and was wondering how much would it be worth now I know that a unit today if you're buying one unit today they're 25 euro at one stage the unit used to be a tenner and then I suddenly remembered I'm sure they when they were first sold they were five euro so anyway the listener I told I gave the listener the advice to get on to uh, prizebonds.ie if you are cashing in one unit now this would have been before the euro came in and before they went up in price this is when they were on sale at they were five pounds which was a lot of money back in the, the 60s 70s and 80s you if you go on to cash it in you'll get six euro and 35 cents a lovely text in about robins I'm sure I love having robins I have robins around all throughout the winter I have a robin around me whenever I'm out feeding the goats and hens in the morning and evening time following morning I had his or her mate also joined in and then I've had a whole family I put out a tray of food for them I always believe robins are good luck and when a robin is around I always believe it's a sign that your loved one is around yeah I'm with you on that one okay that's where we leave you uh, for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow for Thursday's edition of the programme lovely weather forecast for the rest of the afternoon and for tomorrow so get out and about as much as you can. Until tomorrow at 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.